Guys, I'm so excited. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Are you excited, TJ? I'm thrilled. But I bet out of the three of us, probably Josh is the most excited. Josh? I would say that is a safe assessment. Awesome. Well, for those that don't know, our show is called Church Jams Now. It is a podcast where three former youth group kids and current music nerds do a deep dive on Christian music of the 90s and 2000s. But today we've got something a little different. Uh, We've got our first interview kind of show, uh, a conversation show where we're not going to talk about a specific album. We're not going to do the deep dive in that way. We're going to deep dive in a totally different way. And we are so incredibly excited to have Steve Dale on the show. Hey, Steve. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. We are so excited. So I know he's been looking forward to it all week. So I'm going to defer to our beautiful producer, Josh. Get it, Josh. We're going to ask some questions and just have some good old music nerd conversation. Yes, we will. Thanks, Kylan. Thanks again, Steve, for coming on. You got it. Been real excited to talk about this. If it's all right with you, I'll do like a little introduction for you just for our listeners to kind of give some context. Before I do, I want to ask, what is like the level of fanboy that you're okay with? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anything's fine. Anything's fine. Cool. I may gush a little bit in the intro. After that, I'll be strictly professional. Okay. (laughs) But okay, so we have the one and only Steve Dale with us, longtime bassist for California-based band Project 86. I believe you played bass with them for the first seven records and then even switched to guitar a little bit towards the end of your tenure with them. Yeah, that sounds right. They're obviously a big band. We're going to be talking about a lot, one record in particular from y'all. And then in the mid-2000s, you started playing with Jason Martin of Starflyer 59, and uh, you've been playing with him since 2006 was your first record, playing with him since then, and seemed to be just like his right-hand man when it comes to bass stuff now, being involved in whether it's Bon Voyage or Neon Horse or Lo and Behold, basically anything that he is doing, it seems like you're involved with for the most part. Okay, so if I may fanboy a little bit... (laughs) (laughs) My history with Project 86 is in high school, I discovered y'all right after the And the Rest Will Follow era. So y'all had already come out. So this was around 2006, I believe. So Rival Factions was the first record that y'all released where I was like a full-fledged fan and got to experience that. And y'all were my favorite band in high school, going into college. And Kylan can attest to that because I met Kylan in college I was the biggest Project 86 fan. That was like the first thing I knew about you, Josh. It was like the we first connected. I knew you didn't have a Facebook and Project 86 was your favorite band. <laughs> I love it. That was really all you needed to know about me back <laughs> that in is the true. day. That <laughs> was the important thing. That was all of my personality. So I will say when I got into Project 86, so your bass lines are a real big part of the Project 86 sound based on just like how... The music is set up and how well you and Randy, I feel like Randy's parts give you a lot of room to just add a lot of really cool bass lines. And I started playing bass when I was like in 10th grade. So I was like, oh yeah, listen to this band. He's got really cool bass lines. And so <laughs> like, that was like a real easy thing for me to hook into. And just like everything that y'all were doing, I was way into. And then, so I, y'all were my favorite band for many years. And then I got older, taste changed, started listening to more music, and then fell into the world of Starflyer 59. Ah. By that point, you were already playing bass with them. So a couple of years went by, and I was like, oh, I guess 
I have to admit that Starflyer 59 is my favorite band now. <laughs> and lo and behold, you are also the bassist for Starflyer 59 <laughs> now. <laughs> how sneaky. Yeah. I don't know how many fans transitioned from like being Project 86 fans to being Starflyer 59 fans, but not only was I a fan of both, but I'm like, y'all were both my favorite band at different points in my life. So I feel like if there's a Stephen Dale fan club, I'm probably the president. You are the president, for sure. Yes. For sure. Everyone is welcome in my club, and I feel like this episode will draw a lot of new members, but we I so. will be sitting in the president's, the Oval Office, if you will. Absolutely. That was my fanboy. Thank you for allowing that. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> it. That's really, I know, that's cool to hear. I don't think I've heard that one many times. Oh, really? As far as that, that transition. Yeah. 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 It's a pretty yeah. interesting direction, I feel like. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I did it, so why not? Right. Exactly, yeah. There you <laughs> go. I don't feel like many people are going from Starflyer to Project 86. I feel like the no. Project 86 to Starflyer works. But I think it would only happen the other way, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we are talking about uh, what we wanted to bring you in on earlier this year, and I apologize to everyone and to you, Steve. I'm talking a lot at the beginning of this episode. No but we'll get. I want Steve to talk a lot. You'll hear a lot less of us throughout, but... As we were kind of planning our episodes for this year, we were talking about a lot of anniversary records, albums that were hitting 10, 15, 20, 30 years that we wanted to discuss. And Truthless Heroes was one that I was like, ooh, maybe in September we can talk about Truthless Heroes and maybe we can get like Steve or Randy on to even talk about it. That was like something I had in the back of my head for most of this year. And you were gracious enough to oblige and here you are. And so we'll be focusing on the 20 year anniversary of Truthless Heroes, I think for like the main part of this episode, but really anything and everything is up to discuss. So we'll talk about the rest of your career as well, but whatever else you want to discuss and rabbit trails you want to veer off on too. It's all up for grabs. All right. Sounds like a plan. Sweet. So I guess I'll keep going with this. Yeah, yeah. Josh, this is <laughs> your show, man. You're on a roll, man. Yeah. All right, no, this perfect. This is your show. I'll keep going. Well, thank you, guys. So our podcast is talking about like the Christian albums that we grew up with in like the 90s and 2000s and like what we could listen to growing up, albums that were really big to us. Uh, were, what was like that for you growing up? What what could you, did you grow up like within a Christian household, like where you could listen to Christian music or what were you listening to when you were a kid? I did grow up in a Christian house, right? Um we were not, or my, actually my folks weren't really that hardcore, like you can only listen to Christian music, because I think they didn't even realize mm. Christian music was a thing. Yeah, well, Christian music, it, it definitely morphed like culture-wise by the time we were like yeah. growing up, you know? Mm. I mean, for me, yeah, it's like, I want it, man, Tooth and Nail kind of blew up right when I was like in youth group. So it was yeah, a huge man. thing, right? So... But like early on, it was like, you know, buying like Guns N' Roses tapes and stuff. But like, nice. Yeah, you know, you know it, your typical thing. But then, um, yeah, the first Christian show I ever went to was uh, Plank Eye. And then Focused played after them and the prayer chain headlined. Oh, wow. And, and for me, like, I hadn't heard of any of those bands and f- like my whatever I was, 15 or something, you know probably younger actually i was probably more like 13 and uh focused was like i was like that i've never heard anything like that the guy's just screaming like this yeah. is the craziest <laughs> thing i've ever heard yeah uh, and and it just blew me away and and from there i got that kind of sent me down the kind of hardcore scene 
thing. And that was, that was a huge presence in Southern California in the mm-hmm. uh, mid nineties. And that was both. So from there, then I started getting into the whole straight edge scene mm-hmm. and, um, but you know, I was still a Christian kid. Um, and back then those bands like focus and unashamed, they would play with all the straight edge bands. They were all, it was all intertwined. It wasn't right. so Christian yeah. secular. Back then. There was yeah. like enough of an overlap scene wise. Yes, absolutely. And, That's and, cool. and there was like, yeah, there was like common respect too. Like it, it was, wow. yeah, it was cool. Like they, everybody was kind of cool with each other. So that's kind of where my interest went early on. But, you know, also I got into the other tooth and nail stuff, like, you know, Starflyer's first record. Ironically, I remember buying that. I remember as like 14 year old me thinking like, this is weird music. You know? like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I like it, but it's weird. I can't hear his voice. You know? you're like This right. is weird. And then you're like, you're getting, now you're getting texts from Jason. Like, Hey, can you play on this song? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of the, but it was still, I was, it was very youth group oriented, you know, right. so probably a lot like you guys, you know, but I, you know, I was kind of the snob youth group kid. Like, they're playing like DC talk, like this stuff's lame, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. See, that's the difference. Cause I was like, I was, I was homeschooled for quite a bit of my childhood. So I was like, Hey, I can sing all the words to love is a verb by DC talk. This is the best music I've ever heard. Until like, right. Like I thought it was really cool. Cause that was like my first intro to like rap music. And now uh-huh. I'm just like, Oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> well, you know, it's the best thing you ever heard. Cause it's the only right. thing you ever heard. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And look, I mean, they were doing a thing, right? Like they yeah, really sure. knew their lane and made the music that, made sense to them yeah, but like absolutely to that point when that's what you know it's like you are gonna think that it's the best stuff ever. and that's what tooth and nail did right yeah. all they that's really what they did all of a sudden they opened the floodgates to this like whoa there's all these other genres and that's really to me at least in my experience became the the sounds like era you know you had right. this band that substituted this secular band you know and this thing you know and but you know it just kept getting better you know and then it was a there was never a greater scene it was the funnest thing ever so and did you grow up in southern california yeah yeah and that seemed especially in that time that seemed like the hot spot where oh my gosh happening right yeah absolutely it was was like great place to be yeah it not only just southern california orange county where i was from i mean like that was focused, unashamed, like so many bands of the early Tooth and Nail. I think even yeah. the first record. Um, at the Fish. At the Fish. Wish for Eden, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were local mm-hmm. too. It was all bred out of out of Southern California, oddly enough. And yeah, so it was, wow. it, it was like every weekend there's stuff going on, shows going on. Yeah, it was great. That's so rad. I, I love, love that. It. Yeah, because we've talked a lot about how like, I, I feel like for the three of us, like tooth and nail essentially defined the sound of like an entire generation of music that was yeah, like, super important. And they had like, I mean, based on like not just the bands they signed, but like the producers that they worked with a lot and uh, the way they mixed and mastered all of those records, there was like a huge run where they were just like so influential. Yep, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they define, like you said, the generation of youth group kids and mm-hmm. across the whole country, even I guess internationally too. But right, yeah, it, yeah. 
looking back, I'm really appreciative of how they created access to like all these different genres, all these different types of bands Mm -hmm. that like without a label like that, I don't think I would have ever been turned on to a lot of those bands. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. That was exactly my experience is that came first. And then I discovered this whole, you know, scene outside of that. But I guess I, you know, I'd say I'm lucky. My my parents weren't too legalistic in that way. They were, they were okay with me, you know, listening to non-Christian music and going to non-Christian shows and stuff. I remember it was such a thing when I, like when I was in high school that I'm sure all of you can relate to like, I'm going to, gonna burn all my secular music right? oh, yeah. oh or, yeah or 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 smash them in the church parking lot oh, you yeah. know mm-hmm. yeah and uh i remember even randy did it our guitar oh, player wow and i was like yeah i'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> you were smart man I, I, I was judged a little bit but i said yeah i'm cool like I'm, my my, I'm my my salvation doesn't doesn't is not right. based on whether i'm listening to you know mm. <laughs> strife or whatever right <laughs> i'm i'm so glad the whole like burning phenomenon within christian culture is like kind of like gone away because that's yeah. like just yeah. wild right mm-hmm. totally but yeah it's it's fun it's always fun to talk to like uh like-minded people that came from youth group culture because you have so yeah. so many things in common and, and it's like, a specific right. kind of culture right like so specific i mean <laughs> well, even like yeah. just now i just said like oh good i'm gonna you know um you know, smash all my secular music. Like right. most people will be like, well, what the hell is secular what? music? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what do you exactly. mean? No, well, that's that, that was the whole sort of defining idea behind uh, this podcast in general, because like, you know, wherever you're at sort of spiritually or religiously or whatever, because even the three of us, we've talked on other podcasts at length about how we're all in different places, but like, there's a very specific experience of growing up like within like going to youth group and doing these specific things that it's just like yeah. super interesting to kind of unpack and talk about. There's a lot there too. There is. Yeah. And I, you know, my path with it is I think most people, I'm sure you guys, you know, can agree. Like you go through this phase where you're a little bit ashamed of it or like you, you, mm. you, you push back on Christian music. Like, Oh no, no, that's, you know, that, but then oh, I reached this point where it's like I look back and it's like it was awesome, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. fantastic. Like yeah. it was the greatest part of my life. Like yeah. Cornerstone was like an incredible cultural phenomenon. I mean, like yes. that festival, it, it, like, and it nothing has existed like that since. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that's yeah. actually like a great transition. I would love to talk about Cornerstone a little bit if, sure. if that's cool to you yeah. because. TJ, I think, right, you you played Cornerstone. Several I, years, yep. I, I had a band that played Cornerstone, and it was sort of like the avenue for, yep. you know, it was like an alternative. To, not that it was, it was an Christian alternative. Christian Woodstock, man. Like, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And, yeah, I would love to hear more about some of your experiences playing there. Yeah, the the very the very first year we played would have been 98. We wow. played the HM wow. stage. And cool. there was like a windstorm, and so it like blew the. There was no tent. It was it was oh real ghetto. It was a, it yeah. was a dust bowl year, huh? <laughs> yeah, and um, <laughs> but we, you know, I had heard about Cornerstone so much, and then just showed up, and it's like this is this place is wild, you know, just it, yeah. it just blew me away, and like the amount of merch we sold, and our this is our first tour ever, was like holy cow, like this is crazy, <laughs> and so yeah. Um, 
yeah, and it just either like there was such a camaraderie amongst all the bands and stuff. And that's where I first met Jason Martin. It was at Cornerstone, just in the merch booth. And he was always trying to get typical him card games going between all the bands and (laughs) trying to scam everybody out of money. But uh, (laughs) yeah, and then man, I I had a stretch. I don't even know how many years where I wasn't home on Fourth of July because we it was just what we did. We were at Cornerstone. Even if we weren't on tour, we'd we'd always fly out and do it and. Uh, and then you might be able to help. I don't remember what year we first headlined main stage. I think it was before Truthless Heroes came out. So that was like 2000, 2001, probably something like that. Mm. And that was awesome. I mean, just amazing experience, you know, like that. Yeah. Who else headlined I, I, around that time? Do you remember? Because I know they would do like the multiple nights. Yeah, the night we headlined, Blindside played before us and Staves Acre oh, played man. before oh, them. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a great show. That was, <laughs> yeah, because we were all, you know, thick as thieves back then and touring together and stuff. Um, I think POD was the biggie, if mm. I remember, because that's when they were just like selling right, millions like, yeah, of records. Yeah, yeah, next yeah. level. Yeah. But they were smart, though. They knew, like, we still have to play these things. Like, right. this is where yeah, we yeah. came from, and uh-huh. and and these are our the people. Roots. These are our fans, and I always respected that about them. They 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 realized that they always came back and did that stuff. So, but yeah, man, I, I honestly don't know how many times we played it, but every we, I'll tell you one thing: we never camped there. Oh uh, really? Yeah, I, I'm kinda, not even like in a tour bus, like parked with all tour, the RVs. Oh, tour bus, yeah. That's not yeah. camping, TJ. That doesn't that's count. Not, well, that's, that's it not depends camp. on who you ask. I, I have camped at Cornerstone, and that is not camping at Cornerstone. I have too. I know. I'm, I I, I needed to preface that that you know <laughs> where we were not totally legit because we never. So it's not the full experience. Right. No, that's we okay. were always at the, the days in. Yeah, yeah right, there, there right. are some experiences that you don't necessarily need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. they might be formative, but they don't. They're not necessary. <laughs> and it I like us- usually rained one day almost oh, every yeah, year. Of course, oh of yeah, course. and then it was just a mudslide. The pig thing. mud, the smell, <laughs> and oh, <laughs> filthy place. Just yep. absolutely and the, filthy. And the showers were like barely better. Like once. <laughs> You know, then just rolling around in the mud, essentially. Oh gosh! <laughs> so you yeah. didn't miss anything. Yeah. No, yeah. I get it. Like Cornerstone was like the first real like festival experience I ever had, and it was also the first real like, oh, people are fucking gross experience <laughs> that I had in my life. Like going to like, oh, I have to pee so bad, but all the porta potties are literally filled yes. to the brim with yeah. human excrement. It's like, yeah. no, I don't like people are gross. Yeah. And then <laughs> and the, the crew, you know, running that thing and emptying those porta potties, they're all Japuza people. Oh, you know, yeah. like the G- oh. Jesus People USA uh, uh-huh. crew, yeah. which some of those people, you know, they're. They were great people, but they looked crazy. Yeah. I remember there was always a yeah. dude that had a bone in his nose. <laughs> and, he, and he was all <laughs> just like, what? It's like an alternate universe, honestly. Right, right. We played every major Christian festival, and none of them were like that. Like, that it was, was the only one. <laughs> yeah, that was what was so crazy about Cornerstone to me, is that it really was like just this dynamic representation of what Christian music was from yeah. across the globe, really. like Yeah. 
I mean, totally. Blindside headlining and like, uh, yeah, I know. You've it got was the great. hippies, like the folk tent and all that stuff. Like, yeah. you could find anything you wanted there, really. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And then I always say, Cornerstone was kind of a barometer of Christian music in a way, because mm-hmm. then it's like, I think it was maybe one of my last tours, like around 08, I want to say, 09, somewhere. And we went to Cornerstone. It just wasn't the same. It right. just, it, it just yeah. was not, the vibe was different. There were less people and there were just generator stages everywhere and everything was metal. Everything was metal, you know, and yes. there wasn't that, that eclectic, you know, styling and stuff. So it, it something right. happened. It just changed, but the whole scene just changed, you know, it kind of, kind of died there right around that time, I think. So, yeah. right. I think so too. That was yeah. Kind, of, yeah. kind of vibe sure. I got. A real shift. Josh, yeah. take us somewhere. <laughs> well, I, yeah, this has all been super cool. I do want us to kind of like transition into like the Truthless Heroes kind sure. of timeline, which I think like you talking about playing in 98, it was interesting to me that like I feel like y'all's first record was in 98, and then by the time 2000 rolled around, you dropped, you released Drawing Black Lines, and then you got picked up by Atlantic. Like yeah. that seems like a very quick transition from you being like, you starting your band, and yeah. I don't remember when it was. I think like I've heard '96. I could be wrong. I'm not going to tell it to you. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Josh is our like for everything. Like he's our repository. We call him the archivist. He like Back retains all of this information. Like can like name years that albums came out, and I'm like, I have no idea. So. Oh, that's great. You can correct me, actually. <laughs> we need to. I didn't yeah. bring anything out, but in my closet, I actually have a one of the Project 86 demo tapes that y'all did that has like the Holy three songs gosh. y'all recorded before oh, even the, the self-titled. And it's really out of tune. Yes. <laughs> I didn't play on that. Oh, you didn't? Was that? No, that was, was Ethan. Oh. The that was Ethan first, So his out of tune bait, you cannot blame, blame me for that. I was <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Calling we'll you out, have, Ethan. We'll, we'll have to have Ethan on. <laughs> yeah, Ethan, defend yourself if you're listening to this. Yes. Okay. So cool. I do have that. Okay. I didn't know that you were you weren't on that. No. But yeah, I do want to hear about like because I think that was like '96 ish, and you can obviously tell about yeah like the early transition of the band. But I mean, you get signed to Tooth and Nail, and then like two years later, you drop Drawing Black Lines, and then you get picked up by Atlantic. So like, yeah. can you just kind of put us in what was happening in the band and like with you, like was that something that you even expected to go to a a major label? Not really. No. It, um, so yeah, we did our first record. That was really like, we were just stoked to be in that scene that we just talked about playing cornerstone and Mm -hmm. being on tooth and nail. And like, that was our goal. Right. Like, and then, uh, you know, somewhere in there, the POD thing happened, right? Like, holy crap, they got signed by a major label. And then Mm -hmm. their debut record comes out and it sold like one point something million records. Like, and that really changed everything for, for bands also, because all of a sudden that became a reality. And then also that scene was on the radar of major labels. Mm -hmm. And so John Rubley is an A&R for uh, Atlantic he's the guy who signed POD and he, he had the foresight oh. of like, Oh, there's something to tap into here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we were also managed by Tim cook, who was managing POD at that time. And wow. so we had been around John at Atlantic and stuff. And then 
we finished drawing black lines and you know that was just for tooth and nail at the time and rubley heard it and he so actually drawing black lines came on on atlantic too but it was like a split release so they they got the rights for the general market and evil and tooth and nail had the christian market oh interesting okay were y'all were already signed by the time that came out okay i thought it was like a re-release it was like a light it was like no, they put it out at the time of release. Okay. Yeah, but hmm. but it was more like a licensing deal at that time. But then, between drawing black lines and truthless heroes, Atlantic bought us out from tooth and nail and officially signed us. Okay. So, gotcha. But yeah, it, it did happen quick. But it was like we made such a big jump from our first record to drawing black lines. Like we just kind of started doing whatever we wanted and didn't overthink. I mean, that record was super fun to make because we just, we just rolled with it, man. There was no overthinking anything. And, and the timing was right. Of course, you know, all of a sudden heavy music became mainstream, right, right, right around that 2000 mark. Yeah. So it did happen quick, but seeing POD's path and how that happened and stuff. And then blindside was right next to us doing it with Electra. Right. right. So it became uh, this yeah. thing that was kind of, kind of became normal. Well, I, you know, I'll have to give credit to MXPX did it before uh, POD. Yes. Right. They didn't have the, the success as POD, but they, they were, they made the jump early yeah. on too. And they so. kept like their cult following, I would say. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Soon. Yeah. But so, yeah, it, it, to answer your question, it was, quick and weird it was a whirlwind but no that was not something we were expecting but it was somewhere along the lines it was something that we knew was possible so yeah i'm just curious about the whole like stage of like doing like pre-production or like were you like in like some big fancy studio or like for your main recording like oh for what what all that yeah yeah what was it was like it was ridiculous yeah, I mean, looking back is so stupid. I mean, <laughs> not not by us. That's how the, the industry was like that then. They spent right. fortunes on records. Ridiculous I mean, amounts of I, money. I I think the budget for Truth of the Heroes was like four hundred grand oh or something God. like that. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Uh, if I remember right, it's something like that. And uh, so, yeah, we pre production. Oh God, it lasted forever too. I mean, the amount of t- <laughs> it was such a long process. Yeah, but, what was the length of time? Like, I mean, are we talking multiple months or weeks? Yeah, that's tough to remember. Oh, for sure, months. Okay. I would say the actual, like, from, like, the real tracking of the record till mm-hmm. mixing was done and everything, I'd say it was probably two months. But okay. before that, we did, a like, full pre-production demos with, uh, like, a hundred times <laughs> like wow. it was yeah it was a different world i mean they were they were spending a lot of money back then and what was the nature of your relationship with the songs by the time that you finally got to tracking like the real deal? uh screwed up yeah right <laughs> yes, exactly yes that would have absolutely. been my assumption i didn't yes. want to presume nope. but no, like, no 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 you're no they're absolutely right because like, you're living was, with those songs right like yeah you're for so way long. too long you're yes. beating a dead horse yeah, yeah. You, got, you know yeah. all of a sudden yeah you're rearranging this and doing it oh the first demo did this second demo did that the, the pre-production did this and like yeah you're right it, and 
by contract drawing black lines. Like we did demos for maybe half of them to send to Garth who produced that record. And we mm. went up there and we recorded that record in like three weeks and it was wow. done. So very different, different uh, process. Very, very, very different. It was, if you had to trip. pick one, if you were going to go into the studio tomorrow and work on something, Oh, I would one method. Oh, ever since then, I'd bang it out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because my, my philosophy and and this is Jason as well is like, you know, something's bad pretty, pretty quick. From the jump. Yeah. Right. From the jump. Right. And why would you spend a bunch of time trying to make something that's bad? Good. Rehashing it. Yeah. Just, just write another song. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's like in retrospect, like, of course, would never spend that kind of money on a record again. Like mm. there's a million ways we could have done it, but I don't think we really would have had the option. Was yeah. that like a label decision? Like, Oh, you guys are going to go away for two months and do pre-pro or. Yeah. That's just how major okay. label records were done. And, and if we, I pretty sure if we would have said, you know what, we want to make this record for 40 grand. Um, which is what drawing black lines costs, if I remember right. I think it might have even been less, more like thirty grand or something like that. Uh, they mm-hmm. they actually might have said no, because wow. their business model was so different back then. Of you spend big, you go big, and big returns. It could hit big, right. and then if it doesn't, we'll drop you. Right. Yeah, you know next. that that's wow. on yeah. the next one. Man. Yeah, Oof, that's crazy, man. But I will say the whole process was really. <laughs> fun i mean we we tracked drums at a studio called cello in hollywood mm. and it um i don't know if you saw the movie that thing you do yeah oh yeah um, oh yeah so you know the end scene where uh lead singer quits yeah uh-huh. that was the live room we were in no way oh, that's oh, wow. Wow. yeah that's uh-huh. cello yeah <laughs> And so, yeah, it was like, you know, world class, like there's like a few studios there, like Tom Petty was next door and amazing. Yeah. Like Hmm. it was like upper echelon type stuff. So all that was fun. I can't say that wasn't fun. That that was great. (laughs) You know, with drum techs and guitar techs and like, it's like, we weren't that good. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous to think about. There's always that, like, regardless of what level, you're at i feel like there's that yeah. little bit of like imposter syndrome with just like like we're just like yeah. a bunch of punk kids like yeah. like what what are you doing like we don't deserve oh, yeah. this but Teddy's next door that's so <laughs> rad oh i had imposter so syndrome like crazy at that time it's like this is yeah. funny you know but yeah it was you know it was a cool experience but of course wouldn't do it that way again if i could go back but it is what it right. is you know yeah. yeah you got your big major label experience though yeah this is kind of a big question but i guess i kind of frame stuff from here like what is like your relationship with like truthless heroes like now like how do you feel looking back on it just in an overall or a very specific sense yeah um for a long time it was like i was pretty bitter like i was bummed Mm -hmm. on that i was pretty bummed on the way that record turned out after everything we did and i mean now if i go back it's like you know, it's, it's fine. Like, I think there's, there's highlights and lowlights and stuff. I definitely don't think it sonically sounds like half a million dollars. I I, I don't know what that (laughs) sounds like, but (laughs) I think it should have sounded better to be honest with you, but, but, um, just doesn't kind of balance out. (laughs) Yeah. I was, 
the, I, from the time we finished it and even now, I was really bummed on the mix. The, the yeah. mix of that record, I'm not a fan of. Um, what about it, it specifically? It it's, seems overly compressed to me. I think the mm-hmm. drums, like for for the for where we tracked and how much went into that, like it should have been a much bigger record. It mm-hmm. should the drums should have been bigger. Resonant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and, especially I feel like you know, there's definitely been this progression of like compress the shit out of everything kind of yeah. going on like the last like you know sure like 20 years or so and so i feel like that uh, around that time was sort of like the beginning of that and not being able to like totally. figure out what that means and then <laughs> know honestly, how much was too much right like it's almost mm. like uh oh brother where art thou by yeah. the coen brothers was like the first movie to be like digitally color timed and yeah. you watch it you're like Oh, this is like too much. Like, uh-huh. yeah. but you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm pioneers. I can, yeah. I, can <laughs> I can, I can understand that, that frustration though, because like for me specifically and in my experience with Project 86 and everything is like, yeah, that doesn't, that, that it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right for like the sound that, that yeah. y'all were going for. Yeah. Totally. Massive. I think somewhere along the lines, we lost what exactly it was we were going right. for. Right. You know? right. Because we mm. were so like, I'll, I'll give credit to Rubley, our A&R. He never explicitly said, you need to write this kind of, these kinds mm. of songs, or you need to write a hit or that he mm. never did that. But it was implied. I mean, yeah, you right. don't spend 400 grand on a well, record. You right. Well, well yeah. you, you guys were kind of on the front lines of like, of you know like similar to pod you were kind of on the front lines of this heavier style of music entering the mainstream having commercial viability right so you have all these like pop guys like pop business guys kind of coming in and and being like well this is this is how it needs to go being pushed up against like all of these creative types and who are making like quote-unquote alternative music or like well i don't necessarily agree with that but these guys have the money so yeah i'm i'm yeah. just like that that completely makes sense to me yeah and you know back to the like you know we could have really realistically had whoever we wanted mm-hmm. not whoever we wanted whoever was available mix that record i mean there was no shortage mm-hmm. of budget and so like our record came out basically right alongside blindside's uh silence record oh wow like we were in LA at the same time as making those records. And right. I don't remember if it was Chris Lord Algae or Tom Lord Algae. I think it might've been Tom who mixed silence. I'd, I'd have to look or whatever, yeah. but it was one of the Lord Algies. And it's like mm-hmm. that for that time. Right. In that style. Then it was like, yeah, that record sounds right. way sounds better. Great. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we, bumped, we've, we, we've talked about them too, about how they also kind of, defined a generation of 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 sound yeah so. yeah yeah and that you know here in their record compared to i was like oh man like it was, it was kind <laughs> should of, have gone with them <laughs> yeah it was kind of a disappointment but yeah it's you know it is what it is it's not, really, it's not like it sounds bad it's just something no. that doesn't totally right. sit right with me you know yeah it's tough anytime you get multiple people in a room and try to make one decision right yeah that's just hard. yeah and and it, a lot of it had to do with who was available. Mm-hmm. Like 
Matt Hyde produced the record and I would like love Matt to this day. He's awesome dude. But um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Sardi. Do you know that producer and mixer engineer? He's done crazy cool stuff. We were lined up with him oh, wow. uh, prior to that. Yeah. When you get a chance, Google his name and look at his credits. Like he's done crazy cool stuff, but uh, in some, for some reason it fell through, but, but that would have made, nothing against Matt, but that would have made that record completely different because hmm. he's a totally different producer and, uh, and mixer and stuff. Hmm. But, you know, live and you learn, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is what it is. I, I am curious, like, what are some of your favorite, like, songs and moments that are still, like, on that record? Oh, man. What are some standouts still? I'm trying to think. It's been a while since I've listened to it, to be honest with you. Um <laughs> I know the track "Another Boredom Movement" was kind of a a live favorite and a fan favorite from that record. That one stood out to me. I'm trying to think of what else, what other songs were even on that thing. <laughs> yeah, this is another question I I'm always curious with bands is like, did y'all use like working titles or do you refer to like the songs as their official titles? Um, oh, that's a yeah. good question. Yeah, yeah that's, sorry, oh, that, that surprised me too. That's a good for question. years we would, yeah, the working titles would stick forever, and then it was always like Schwab, like, no, that song's you know, the willow tree under the sun. <laughs> right. like, oh, like, you know, sure, it like, is. What, sure. No, that's like, that one's called <laughs> right. you know, brand new heavy. You know, <laughs> but. So uh, uh, but uh, this long after, like I can't even remember some of the the song titles from that record, to be honest with you. But uh, what was that? What was the song that, that, that had a, f- a female vocal on it? Was it a bottom feeder? Yeah, the softer one. I liked that song, and I, I mm. started like screwing with a remix because I have the files for that whole record, like oh, the cool. whole Pro Tools sessions. Stems? Yeah, oh sweet. Yeah, it's it's crazy how, <laughs> I mean, you would not believe the amount of tra- tracks yeah. there are. <laughs> I like, believe it's, it. It's crazy. But uh, I was doing like the messing with this remix thing because we're potentially maybe doing a Truthless Heroes vinyl thing, but we're not sure if it's going to happen. But uh, mm-hmm. it's like, you know what? This is actually a pretty cool song. I mean, I know it, it definitely wasn't a standout for the fans of ours and stuff. Like, I think they felt like it was a an album filler, but... That was really different for us. It is very time. different. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I like that. I like that you looking back like the song that you're like, I don't know if the fans liked it, but I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then that whole, you know, it was this battle, not battle, but this conflict of like an inner battle, inner band battle of like mm-hmm. Schwab needed to do something new vocally. He needed to hmm. sing. Right. Right. Because like we really hadn't done he really hadn't gone there before then. So that was tough to kind of figure out what he's capable of, what he's not. And like, how far do we want to go with that? Or do, how far do we want to stick with the sound? Everybody's kind of used to, I mean, in retrospect, I, we should have just made the heaviest record we ever made. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, cause I think it probably would have done well, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> like, sure. But yeah. Sure. It didn't feel like it at the time, though, you know. So. What was the decision to kind of go on? Because, like, Drawn Black Lines is really heavy. Right. You obviously could have gone heavier, but what was, like, the decision to kind of go the route that Truthless Heroes ended up being, um, sonically? Yeah, trying to 
uh, have a more palatable sound really mm-hmm. yeah play. yeah yeah i mean to be stuff. honest that's yeah. that's just what it is i mean you saw that going on with these bands around us and it was kind of the mode you know yeah, <laughs> so yeah. makes yeah. sense kind of where culture was going at the yeah time. totally dude this is so rad i just, love it. <laughs> I just i'm sorry i, I don't yeah. mean to like disrupt the flow but like this no is so no rad. worries i was gonna say since we have a pause uh dave sardi produced and mixed get born by jet yeah um, oh yeah in addition oh. to like a bazillion other really cool things. yeah marilyn manson well marilyn manson yeah. record he had just done that yeah. but when we were talking oasis. to him oasis yeah big like, stuff some yeah cool, he's cool a killer stuff. killer yeah. mixer his mixes are freaking cool yeah so oh yeah. my god he mixed sound of silver by lcd sound system yeah that's oh. like oh that's a tj record little little indie <laughs> kid moment there yeah yeah he's done really cool stuff but oh well it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Can I transition into sort of a little more like, like let's bring the scope out a little bit. Like we all said, we all play music and we all make music and it's funny. So I'm primarily like a singer songwriter, but I have such a strong affinity for what we like to call on the podcast, sweet, sweet bass. Okay. (laughs) Every record that we've talked about, there will be hopefully at least one moment. Like we all hope for at least one moment where I'm like, hell yeah, that has some sweet, sweet bass. So as someone that plays sweet, sweet bass, I had a question. Okay. And and this can be something that like you've made or someone else. Do you have any examples of some like fucking sweet sweet bass <laughs> they that we oh, can talk oh, about man because okay i i will say so um you know i'm i'm not as big of a project 86 fan as josh sure. is but i have listened to a little bit of it i'm much more familiar with neon horse okay was sort of my entry into like who you are uh-huh. and uh, there's definitely some sweet, sweet bass <laughs> on those two Neon Horse records. So I was just curious. So so maybe we separate it. Maybe if you have an example that's not you, that like is some sweet, sweet bass you want to talk about, but then also something that like you've come up with. I definitely want you to say what are some of your favorite parts of your own. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of want to separate them. I want to separate them a little bit. What are some bass lines that you've been like still, even if you, you know, did them 20 years ago or 10 years ago or three months ago that you were just like super stoked on? Oh man, that's tough. Um, well, I'll answer your first question first. Um, as far as this may be a little bit surprising, but I'm a huge Pixies fan. Yeah. And so Kim Deal, I think is one of the coolest bass players ever. 100%. Or how simple it sounds on the surface, you know, like, oh, she's just playing simple stuff. And it is simple, but it's not as simple as it seems, right? Right. There's the nuance of of how she's going to play the eighth notes up and down or downstroke or put in this little thing. Her tone was always awesome. And I've always appreciated that kind of bass playing Mm -hmm. personally versus like, chops guy who's you know right right exactly that. well yeah. that that's the thing okay sorry i'm gonna get off on the, on, on a little bit of tangent uh that's what 
I think part of what I love about bass in general is like there is, you know, there's a vibe or a mentality. I feel like with most people that play bass that they're such like a fucking team player, which I'm (laughs) all here for of like, okay, like I'm here to like, serve the song and and you have like i've just dealt with so many like lead singers or lead guitarists who are just like oh no i just want to like show off and shred and it's like no like like the drummer and the bassist are like the base of the song like and so like there's like i don't know i'm just i'm i'm weirdly obsessed with that idea of just like i'm gonna make something fucking cool it doesn't and by fucking cool i don't mean like fancy showing off i just mean like we're gonna do what kind of what the song needs i feel like what you're describing steve is like tasteful but talented yes oh oh that's yeah yeah being that's a big part of it is is being tasteful with bass for sure and and even if you're you know like a la kim deal right even if you're Mm. playing root notes there's a certain thing that real bass players I say real because a lot of people can play bass, but not a lot of people right. can play it well. Right, is a, is a command over the instrument where you have complete yes. control over over your notes and how hard you're playing and getting that right tone out of the bass. You know, it can be the most disgusting sounding instrument or really awesome. Right, right? Yes. just depending. Well, that's on the who huge plays difference it. between yeah. like real bass players and then how like every person that plays guitar is like, oh, I can play bass. It's like easier than guitar. It's not the it's same. Like it's not, right. it's not right. the same thing. Not even close. Totally. Totally. So yeah, that's that's kind of where I've come from. But as yeah. far as stuff I've played on, I mean, so much of the, a lot of the Starflyer stuff is my more of my proud basing yeah. moments. Mm, that's cool. Uh, that makes yeah. sense. Cuz a big part of that is Jason too. So, you know, we, we do everything on the fly like, "Hey, right. come over. We got a track bass for this." Like, "Oh, you got it." And I'll start like figuring out what the root notes are and whatever, and just messing around. And it's like that, that's cool. And then like, next thing you know, like we've mapped out a whole part and then it's just done. So like, right. yeah. So I think every Starflyer record I've played on, there's been pretty cool bass moments, especially I mean, the first record I played on my Island. He had never had like a real bass player before. Oh, wow. And so he, just we went crazy there's so much bass on that record like insane lines like stuff i had never played before that was probably the least tasteful i've ever been (laughs) 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 it was by by request he just let that go after a certain point like yeah so i mean that that highlights again this is why okay so i'm using this platform as a psa for why like Steve, I swear to God, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Uh, <laughs> like, bassists are like the coolest fucking parts of every band really? because you like you don't go into it expecting to be the like show offy guy. Yeah, you're yeah. there to like lay down the foundation and like and yeah, and it's always so rad to me. Sorry, and that's yeah, that's, that's what drew me. <laughs> that's what drew me to that instrument. Honestly, it's just yeah. my hmm. personality. So like, I I. I started on bass. Like mm. I, 
I'm that weird kid that like, hey mom, I want to play bass. She's like, what the hell's a bass? You know, oh, like, so it wasn't I, even like gosh. you couldn't afford the guitar or like you no, were, was there was just, already a guitarist in the band in school. Yeah, like my buddy in school, he played guitar and my other buddy played drums. So it's like, oh, I gotta right. play bass, you know. And so okay. I like literally like got bass lessons at like the age of like 13 or something. Amazing. And then learned Perfect. guitar along the way and stuff. Sure. But like um yeah, in, no, recently, every every yeah. creative project needs something. Like, so Josh is a bassist, and Josh is the reason this podcast exists the way it is because he's that same. He's got uh, that yeah, yeah. same mentality, man. Bassists um, hold everything together. They really there do. That's what it I'm is. here for it. I'm here. <laughs> I'm with you, Josh. I was just like in a in a zone for a while, just like hearing you talk about <laughs> Starflyer. I'm like, this is great. This is everything I want to be doing <laughs> on a Wednesday night, hearing yeah. Steve talk about recording bass for Starflyer. Oh, it's great. the easiest thing ever with, <laughs> with Martin. It really is. It's it's from from day one till you know last week. Like hmm. me and him just work really easily together. And that's the best. I get him. I know they're his songs. I don't step on those toes. I'll make suggestions and this and that. And he's never. I don't know, but it's always fun and it's always quick. Like we talked about like the laboring over, he never does that yeah. ever. He'll say this song's a piece of shit, like immediately and dump it, you know? <laughs> and like, <laughs> and then really every day, yeah. To not have to be too precious about things, but he's not, no, he's prolific though. Yeah. He, so he, prolific. Songs come easy to him. So yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my question for, cause he has like so many projects that he does. Neon horse, Bon yeah. Voyage, Starflyer, lo and behold, is the process essentially the same for each one or does it differ? Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty similar. Like, you know, he'll have some songs and then like, um, we'll record them. And then whoever was doing the vocals or whatever, that it kind of goes from there. I think low Tom, I didn't have anything to do with that was different for him because it wasn't him and TW Walsh wrote a lot of the music. So they were collaborating in that sense. So that was a different deal for him. But yeah, Neon Horse and all that other stuff was was pretty similar. Just he just I guess this thing, oh, I want to do this kind of record. And yeah, he just kind of does it. And it always kind of ends up sounding very Martin-esque, but <laughs> you know, sure. varying, varying versions of it, you know. Very cool. I would be remiss if we didn't bring up White Lighter. Do you oh, want to sure. talk about that yeah. a little bit? Because yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that shit is rad as hell, dude. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was like more, you know, my thing as far as the songwriting and all that. And I yeah. played most of the guitars. Jason played some stuff. Um, and I could just like, the crazy thing is like, dude, you can't find singers anywhere, right? Like you, <laughs> it's mm. so hard to find a good singer that you yeah. like and that you, yeah. And so it's like finally reached this point where like Jason's like, dude, just ask Solomon, you know, like, <laughs> all right. You know, and Mark is like, oh yeah, let's do it. And so it, that record's weird in a way. Cause it's like almost like this offshoot of neon horse, like a different version record. of it, but yeah. similar and different. And mm-hmm. at the same time, um, but that was just fun, man. That was just a really fun thing to do. And um, yeah, at that time I hadn't, done much other than Starflyer, so i was like i just really want to do my own thing you know right. and write my own record and stuff well how long had you had those songs like had they been well, like building up for a couple of years or was it all like, like, within a concise amount of time that process was slow because mark had moved to florida so like 
he, we kind of had to wait for him to take trips back and, and, you know, everybody was working and stuff. So it was kind of a slow burn. Um, but I would say from beginning to end, it was probably a couple years before that was totally done. That sounds about right, but I'm bad with timelines. So, yeah. Okay. Wow. So um, it, so you'd had them anyway. written, <laughs> you'd had them written a couple years prior to something like that. Yeah. Out. Yeah. So like kind of just along the way type of thing. I mean, we, we hit our stride somewhere in the middle there where it just, it started moving quicker, but it was, it was more about like, kind of like, what do I want to do here? Like, how, you know, what kind of sound am I going for? That kind of thing. So, hmm. um, it was fun, man. It just, it, you know, not a lot of people knew about it right? Um, when it came out. There wasn't really much marketing or promotion or anything. So that was kind of a bummer. But uh, I like the record. You know, I think it's cool. I think there's some cool songs on there. So I do too. Yeah, <laughs> cool. it's great. Yeah. Do you think there will ever be more White Lighter songs? Oh, we talked about it for a while there. I, I hope so. I don't know about a full record that might be a little bit ambitious, but uh, like maybe, maybe like an EP or something. Um, That'd be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely open to it. It's more if it's uh, logistically possible at this point. So, because he's still, Mark's still in Florida and all that and busy. So, and he wrote all the the lyrical content for yeah like, yeah yeah that's everything. all him. Like I know yeah. he did the vocals, but like I didn't know if y'all yeah. collaborated on. No, I. That's not. I. I don't go there. I'm not a. Uh, not <laughs> did a you poet. have any any vision for the sort of themes or the tone lyrically to match no. what you had written sonically? I just. I. I've known Mark forever. I knew he would get it. You know? Right. And and he's he's really great at writing lyrics. And yeah, there's. I wasn't. I I left that to him for sure. So right on. Yeah, it's really cool to have that implicit trust in someone and just hand. Oh yeah, them yeah, yeah. Some music and let him. I mean, like, the guy he, he was part of what started. You know, like we talked about, like the whole early tooth and nail and all that stuff. Like mm. it was really the crucified that started that yeah. whole. Mm. Like holy crap, these guys are doing like gnarly stuff, and they're a Christian band. Like, like right. they were really the the pioneers of that stuff. So it's like I'm not going to tell that guy what to do. You know, he, <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he knows better doing. than me. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Cool. Perfect. Well, I am curious about like what your like what your writing and recording rig is like these days oh, are you using question. like like specific gear that you're using i specifically have a couple things like what are your gear staples and then like i'm curious if you're using like any amp modelers or sure how much you do it like just demoing yourself at home or like going to martin studio or whatnot yeah yeah sure um so i've been a, a staunch p-base guy since like around oh five oh six and I've had the same P bass since then. Wow. So yeah, I had for a, some of the early project stuff, I was jazz bass, but I somewhere around mid, I don't know, 2005 or so. I'm a big fan of the P bass sound, um, passive pickup guy, you know, uh, as far as rig at home, I'm just virtual just cause I, you know, I yeah. can't be that loud. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> But uh, I got a pretty decent, you know, front end chain of a, uh, gosh, a UA six mono six ten, and then a, a, a distressor. So it's just a real clean, nice, and I love that uh, six ten on bass. It's really nice mm-hmm. on bass. Uh, 
And then, I don't know, maybe two years ago, I think like most of what I've been using is, uh, I don't know who makes it though. I'm drawing a blank. I, I saw that in the question and I meant to look because <laughs> I know you guys are gear guys, but it's like the SVT suite. Um, so it has the, you know, the uh, little, is it Amplitude maybe? Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yes. I think so. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I use at home. It, it, you know, it's great. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, I can't complain about it. It's sounds pretty convincing, but what I'll do is I'll run a parallel signal for a clean DI always. Right. Oh, cool. And if it's for a record and uh, Martin is involved, he, he he doesn't really have a studio. It's more his garage, but he has a room, like a very small room that's like dead, like super soundproofed. Hmm. So there, if we're going to do something, we'll reamp my bass uh, into like an SVT rig, you know, pretty, pretty standard P bass SVT guy, you know, with a little bit on the front, you know, like some, some overdrive and that kind of stuff. But yeah. Pretty, pretty standard, straight ahead stuff. Okay, Nothing. so everything going on a record is still like going through a real amp and all that stuff. For the most part, for the most part, yeah. I think there was, I couldn't tell you which Starflyer record. Oh, man. I want to say it was I Am a CEO. We were using like a, uh, uh, a speaker. What are those? You know, like uh, it takes a load, a speaker simulator, oh, yeah. but with but with oh, a real yeah, amp. Yeah. Yeah, and hmm. it works, but it's not the same. It's it's not the right. same as you know, really having a mic in front of it and 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 pushing that amp and stuff. It's just mm-hmm. it's cool. But yeah, the, the amp sims are great, especially if if you have no other way to do it, man. It's it's yeah. I would have killed for any of that stuff. Oh, right, yeah. like it's my yeah. goodness, it's, it's insane. Like Kids I, so I I just upgraded to the to the Amplitude Five, uh-huh. and like playing music at home and stuff yeah because like like my daughter's is two years old and yeah what are you gonna has do? naps yeah. and stuff and it's like <laughs> yeah. okay well i can just go play in this closet for a while and yeah. everything i'm just like this is insane to me that i can yeah. get these sounds from just like plugging in my guitar like yeah. it is wild it is it is for, for i will say this especially with guitars because bass i'm pretty pretty clear on what i want and how to right. get it but like there's always too many options right so like yes <laughs> and, and it's that fact it's like oh it's just a di i can change the sound at any time like i've found committing at a certain point is oh, important for, sure. yeah, for yeah, me for you know sure. For <laughs> just, sure. yeah for sure yeah stop tinkering and just you know because like dude those old records whatever you decided to go with like you were stuck with it <laughs> you, right, you weren't right, you weren't exactly. going back yeah. yeah, well, and, and especially as like, you know, in the modern era, when you have when everything is like so digital and you can change so much, it's like it it almost makes more sense to just like pick everything beforehand, because that's that's one less decision you have to make. And yeah. and you can deal with, you know, consequences yeah. be damned. Exactly. You'll deal with it later because that's like, I don't, I don't know. I relate to that. I, yeah. I get that. Like, I just kind of want it to be as like as close to realistic as possible. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Cause the thing, the weird thing is, is you play, you play differently depending on what your sound is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Naturally. Exactly. Completely. Exactly. So then you start changing those sounds and it starts changing that kind of inherent thing of what you perform. So it's, right. it's right. kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. The tools inform the song for sure. Right. Totally. Definitely. Before Josh, I don't know if you have any more questions. 
Um, I mean, I have way too many questions. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Josh, you have a million I'm not going to interrupt the flow, yeah. <laughs> but, okay, Steve, I, I wanted to do something really quick. If you're down. Okay, so we just started this new segment on the podcast called Pop Culture Connection. Okay. Uh, because I'm essentially like... He's a walking know. trivia I'm, database. I'm like a little okay. bit of like Rain Man with pop culture. And so so my wife and I actually like like made this card game called Relevant, uh, which is like a bunch of just things from pop culture, movies, TV, actors, musicians, etc. So I've been trying to integrate that into the show because that's why like my brain is broken and I just need to like get this out. Um, sure. So I've been I've been pulling cards and then trying to connect like the the bands or albums we talk about two specific things and i decided to do that with you and the card that i pulled was the good the bad and the ugly and okay. so if you're down i think that i can connect you steve dale to the movie the good the bad and the ugly okay what if he just says like that's my favorite movie well, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> like, no it's, it's almost over. like it's almost like like a six degrees of kevin bacon kind of thing sure right? so um i haven't looked any of this up so we can fact check it but also i'm like 90 percent certain it's right because this is the the way my broken brain works okay so i don't know if you know but project 86 had a song on the Blair Witch Project 2 soundtrack. Correct. It was, no um, yes, wow. yes. That's so it cool. It was, yeah, there was a was bunch it, of stuff on that soundtrack. Like, was it um, PS, right? It was PS, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, like POD was on that soundtrack and uh, At the Drive-In was on that soundtrack. There's like a ton of stuff from that time. It was like. I never saw the uh, movie though. It's awful. <laughs> it's terrible. You don't oh, ever have I to knew, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so bad. I figured so it was. Yeah. But I love it. I love it's like really It's got a fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes in case yeah, anybody's wondering. It's so bad. Um, okay, so so you played bass on that song, which was on the Blair Witch Two soundtrack, which starred Jeffrey Donovan, uh, who was in the USA show Burn Notice, which also starred Bruce Campbell. Uh, who is in oh, The Evil cool. Dead, directed by Sam Raimi, who also directed Spider-Man, which starred Kirsten Dunst, who is in Little Women with Winona Ryder, who is in Bram Stoker's Dracula with Keanu Reeves, who is weirdly in Toy Story 4 with Tom Hanks, <laughs> who played Sully in the movie Sully, directed by Clint Eastwood, who starred in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Hey! Wow. So, All right there. Very Steve impressive. Dale. Steve it. Dale... You are indirectly, but in my mind, directly connected to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Very impressive. I think that's strong enough to put on a resume. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think so. I think so. I think you can basically say, like, you helped make that movie. <laughs> that's how that works. And Neo Morricone were tight when they were doing the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Well, Thank you, everybody, for letting me <laughs> derail the conversation uh, because that's been in my brain for like a week and I just had to get it out. So thank you. Oh, very <laughs> impressive. Uh, Josh, do you have any other real questions to ask? Oh, man. <laughs> I got so many, but I, so much of it would be like backtracking. I just got to like, I will say I listened to your episode uh, that you did 
I think earlier this year with Brian Patton on As the Story Grows. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. that was a really great one. Yeah, I was really I'm good. glad I listened to it because I literally like had like my list of questions and things I wanted to talk to you about. And as he was, they were all as I was same. listening, I was literally like crossing them off. Like Never okay, mind. He, he literally uh, asked okay. that question that I wanted to ask. So if there's a question or something you wanted to hear from Steve that we didn't cover, go check out that podcast because there's a good chance he talked about it. Yep. Yeah, we covered a lot in that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It we went really... record by record, right? The, yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was very thorough. My only beef with it is I think y'all like talked like one or two lines about "and the rest will follow," which is my favorite Project Eighty Six record. Okay, mm. really? That's your yes. favorite one? That's my yeah. favorite one. I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a different one. That was kind of a oh man. So we did Truthless Heroes that we talked about. And then Songs to Bring Your Bridges by was like half of that were B-sides from Truthless Heroes, mm-hmm. right? Because we recorded oh, wow. so many songs. Oh, I didn't know that. I, honestly, like, I don't know about half, but a good chunk of it were, oh, were wow. B-sides. Right. So mm-hmm. that was pretty easy to put that together. And then And the Rest Will Follow, that was like kind of in a way a backlash to that Atlantic experience in the sense of like, let's not demo anything. Let's me, Randy, and Alex let's get in a room and just jam. jam. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why that record has so many, like, you know, different time signatures and like transitions. And there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of extra things going on. It mm-hmm. weren't like pop structured songs, you know, that's yes. because we just were just jamming. So yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how that one came about. That's it. I don't hear many, people say that's their favorite record no i think it has i think it just like showcases a lot of what y'all could do because i mean it has like one pop structures like i think was kind of for the first like that was newer for y'all i would say yeah but it has like some definitely heavy moments it's got it's got some really melodic stuff it's got some soft stuff so i mean dynamically it really showcases like y'all's ability as a right yeah i'm gonna ask you and this is kind of funny what was what was track two on that record? All of me, right? <laughs> he knew it right away too, man. As see, yeah. I told you, I told you, Josh is like <laughs> he's the guy. Josh is like our music Google. <laughs> I always thought all of me was like the song that we somehow weren't able to write yet for the truthless heroes record Hmm. like if that song would have been on truth that would have been the single of that record for sure because it's like the most catchy chorus we had up until that point and it's very very pop structured and stuff so yeah you're right that one is really all over the place some of the heaviest stuff and and some of the more melodic stuff but but in a great way yeah that was that was a fun one to make that was really cool yeah for sure I'm glad we got to talk about this. I am <laughs> curious. I, I did want to know, like, if you don't have to go through everything. Sure. But, like, if you had to rank as many as you want, I guess. Top three, top five of, like, Project A6 of, of the records you played on and, like, how you feel about them now and what you're most proud of and Sure. That. Yeah, that's – it's hard to, to look at those records objectively, like, just for the music because right. I have yeah. experience tied in them. But yeah, if yeah. I – as far as combining – music and my nostalgia or whatever yes. you may have it i'd have to put drawing black lines as first mm. just because that was kind of this i mean i was 19 when we made that record mm, so like that's crazy that that's was just a really great 
time in my life, right? Like, of course. We, yeah. we were all on the same page, like all four of us. Like there was right. no, there was no drama and we had our share of that shit, trust me. And like, there was nothing, like everybody was happy and we were just doing stuff that we didn't care. So like, right. there wasn't anything to lose on that record either, right? We, I think sold like 20,000 copies of the first one. It's like, nobody had anything and all we're going to get on a major and sell a million records. Right. Like, I mean, that's yeah. no, it was like, no, yeah. I'm really into sick of it all. Let's do, let's do it like a fast song like that, whatever. Yeah. So I'd put that one first, second, and this might offend a lot of project Pete fans because <laughs> they, a lot of them hate it, but I think rival factions is our second best record just because Sweet. awesome. I think it has some of the best songs on it. I mean, I know mm. it, 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 you know, took a turn stylistically and stuff, but, um, yeah, I like the, a lot of the songs on that record. Um, third, I would put songs to burn your bridges by, I think. Hmm. Yeah. But that was kind of a dark time. Cause like we were just gotten dropped and it's kind of like, what the heck are we going to do now? Mm. And, do we want to go back to touring in a van and you know that kind of right. thing? Yeah, but that that record is so good though too. That record is so good. Yeah, there there, there was something liberating about that record because like we basically did it on our own and right. and you know with Matt, but like Matt Hyde also produced that record. But like the songs that we had written for that record, we recorded them in our like practice studio, mm-hmm. which is like a converted um, uh, storage unit. That's where oh, we wow. did all that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So Atlantic paid for that too, by the way, which was awesome. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. Like we, yeah. it was all drywalled and like soundproofed. And we had air conditioning and a front door and everything. Huh. Yeah. So we made, we recorded all those extra songs in there. And then it's like hearing them next to, you know, like uh, Spy Hunter is the first song on that record that mm. was recorded for Truthless Heroes, mm. which oh, should wow. have been track one of Truthless Heroes. Mm. I don't know wow. why we didn't do that, but, um, <laughs> But you hear those two saving it. side by side, and it's like record that we did in a storage unit and a record we did for right. hundreds and hundreds okay. of thousands of dollars, and Dude, they sound the same. That's I mean, so wild. Like, yeah. That's wild to like, like as someone that has like listened to a lot of these records, like to get that context. Because for me, yeah. "Songs to Burn Your Bridges By" is like my favorite. And I okay. think that I think the thing that I respond to in music is like emotional honesty. And that can yeah. come across in a lot of ways. And I think I really get that from this record. So now like having the context of all of that that yeah. I wasn't necessarily aware of, like, oh, that's just like super rad. Yeah, but it's it is weird that like I probably not quite half, but maybe four songs or something, th- at least three or four. We're from that crazy budget wreck, you know. That's mega. wild. But yeah, the the rest we did literally in a in a storage unit. That's so cool. Yeah. I'm all about that shit. Yeah, yeah. And then it, I think J.R. McNeely mixed some of the songs on that record I as think well. It was Aaron Sprinkle. Oh, it was probably both of them. Probably. Okay, J.R. Oh no, Aaron. Oh, okay, J.R. McNeely mixed. You're correct. My bad. Yeah, J- Josh, are you trying Aaron? to tell the guy that played on the thing? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. He probably knows better than me. Um, yeah. Okay. So we did the whole record ourselves. We put it out ourselves. This is prior to like nobody was doing that at the time, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's really cool. And then Tooth and Nail was like, hey, why don't you just come back? We're like, okay, cool. And that's when Tooth and Nail was like 
mega big. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that was like when Under Oath was blowing up and right. yeah, and Amberlynn and all that stuff. And so Sprinkle was going, they had their factory, right? Which was right. brilliant. Yeah, Sprinkle and then JR would mix. And mm-hmm. so we went and did three songs with Sprinkle. Okay. And then cool. JR mixed those. And I think he remixed, pretty sure he remixed Spy Hunter and maybe a couple of other tracks. So hmm. yeah, that record is a little bit of a hodgepodge of people and you know moments in time. But yeah. Did you re-record the stuff that you did with Hyde on like the independent release? Or is it everything just got remixed for the tooth and nail release? So no, we didn't re-record any of the Hyde stuff for the tooth and nail. Some of it got remixed but not all of it. Some of those are Matt Hyde's mixes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's, nice. there's quite a different, lot of people involved with that one yeah. in a weird way. So a little rotating yeah. door. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd put that. Where did I have that one? Fourth. That was three. I think third, that yeah. was three. Yeah. Third. Okay. Fourth. I'd put, and the rest will follow. And okay. Fifth, I'd probably put Truthless Heroes in self-titled. I don't count. That hmm. doesn't exist anymore. Nice. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Well, I, I've got I think one more question. Sure. If and I think this will, this will take us to a good like transition place as well because y'all recently did the repress or, or the first time vinyl release of Drawing Black Lines. Yeah. And with that, uh, you had a couple of B sides that you got to release. I think for the yeah. first time ever, right? Yes. Not the light of day. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, like, are there any other ones that are out there anywhere that maybe we'll see the light of day or? Yeah. So, okay. Besides, Josh coming in for the scoop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for Tell it. Tell us. CJ and exclusive. So we just put out, I don't know if you saw, we put out a CD of mm. just recently, like maybe several weeks ago. A, a CD of demos we did for Drawing Black Lines. It's in that, my closet, but I have the pins here. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, so there's one B-side on there. Yeah. Not the greatest song, Josh but, is yeah. like an OG fan. Okay. I'll tell you what, that was like a dream come true for me because I, I, I have a weird thing of like the fact that we were able to track down the the DAT right. tape yeah. for wow. those demos in get it transferred to pro tools like where was in my it? garage where, dude just... the guy who did it is um he's in anaheim california and it's like because i'm like we thought we had him or alex thought he had him in a bin in his garage and there was mm-hmm. some uh you know dat tapes like dude that'd be awesome like they should be those drawing black lines demos and i went and i took him to long beach which is like an hour or about 45 minutes away paid quite a bit of money to have them transferred and they were the the multi-tracks of that demo you were just talking about that i didn't oh, play on like dude oh i don't want God. that shit you know <laughs> and, so, uh, and so then i was just so bummed and then alex is like dude just get a hold of brian the guy because he still has a it's not in the same place but it's he's still a studio guy mm. and i got a hold of him and i said you know and oddly enough that guy he transferred and archived everything he did and he had it and it was like yeah that's why we keep josh around because i can't tell you how many songs (laughs) i have just lost and just forgotten about but yeah like you you need those people that have 20 years later you do like do you have that and you're like i do but that yeah so like that 
getting those files and then going in, it was like, it was like a time machine, honestly. Like, wow. And I was surprised by how good it sounded. Like, Oh yeah. The guitar. And that was the thing that blew me away with those demos was like, I thought the drawing black line sound was more Garth, the guy who produced it. Then I listened to those demos like, no, that's what we were doing. Like Mm. we were already doing like those demos sound like, like demo version of that record. Like really high gain, giant guitars, bass is all mids. Cause I was playing this P bass with active pickups at the time. And so the bass was all these low mids and guitars were massive and drums were, you know, giant kick drum snare, not that big, you know, like it was, that was the sound. And so it was, it was super fun getting to remix those songs. Yeah, so so cool. you know, one of those, and, and I totally forgot about that song. I mean, there's a reason we didn't put it on the record. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the force fed lies. Yeah. 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 I mean, but I've been pulling up like, what is this? And then like, <laughs> they don't even remember it. Like, oh no, like he's kind of rapping. Like this is terrible. <laughs> like, but uh, it was super fun. That should have been the song on Blair Witch too. <laughs> right, right. That right. is very much of the time. That's true. Um, but as far as other B sides, there's one B side nobody's heard of from Rival Factions. Oh. That I've I also have the sessions for that I've thought about just doing a mix and just putting it out there just whatever for anyone who's interested. But mm-hmm. I mean I don't know. Honestly, wow. Josh is a hundred percent interested. Yes, like I know if, yeah. if <laughs> there's a whole Facebook group, sure that would mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that's not so it's from Rival Factions that's not the Kane Mutiny or Lucretia My Reflection the cover y'all Correct. Did? Yeah, it's a a song that didn't make the record. Yeah, I'm just like legitimately trying to like help out a friend. If you just want to send him to Josh, he's he's not the kind of guy who's gonna like like share share it around. (laughs) But he would he would fucking love it. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll send it to yeah. Send it to me. I don't have. I'd have to do some form of mix with it. So I don't know how great the mix would be doing it quickly. But yeah, absolutely. (laughs) The mix you did on the new drawing black line demo sound great. Yeah, it was it was so easy to mix because there was nothing there. Is there yeah. right? Know, like that's so cool. Yeah, it was just literally like kick snare toms and like a pair of overheads, and then like the guitars were what they were, and bass mm-hmm. was what it was. So I didn't re-record anything. And so amazing, kinda, so cool. Yeah, you could like pat your young selves on the back, like we did good. <laughs> well, that gets back to the thing, right? Of like those crazy budgets. Like that's I was the whole time mm. I'm thinking when I was mixing it. It's like we could have just stayed with this guy. You know, I don't know what he cost back then. Probably, probably a hundred bucks a day or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like we could have spent like two it. weeks with this guy and sent right. it off to, to, you know, Brendan O'Brien to mix or something. Yeah. And it would have been great. Mm-hmm. Like it's no different, but yeah, it, that just wasn't the mode back then. Nobody mm-hmm. did that. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you that song. I'll find a way to get it. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. you're making I don't care. Day. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm so this, this was all secretly an elaborate towards that. I'm like, this is never <laughs> releasing. Can I This get is never releasing. Steve? We just wanted for Josh's birthday to get him this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but that seems as good a place as any. Steve, thank you so much for being on our podcast. And like deep diving into some like really like music nerd stuff we are a hundred percent here for it is there anything you want to like promote 
or 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 plug or or have anyone listen to i mean i I will for sure say like listen to all these projects that like we've talked about white lighter neon horse starflyer 59 project 86 like if any of our listeners haven't listened to them what are you doing here? Come on, get with it. Like, but is there anything in particular you want to talk about? Oh, right now we're in the middle of something, you know, that we're doing pretty much just for fun, but the old band is back together. So me, Randy, Alex, and our buddy Joby, we did a record in uh, a band called Crash Rickshaw forever. Yeah. Oh, yes. oh yes. So we're I forgot doing, to bring that up. <laughs> we're tracking. We did like we have like six songs, and we just tracked drums. Really? And, yeah, we're just just because we're all buddies, and like we just want to do so something. Rad. Yeah. I don't know if it'll come out or who will put it out, but would it be out as the Crash Rickshaw name? Yeah. 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 Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We're just doing it. Yeah. Why That's not? So rad. Dude, but no, the songs get a are Patreon cool. going. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see what the options are as far as that goes. I mean, it's it's really a labor of love, you know. Right. But uh, 100%. I'm in the like drum phase of it, right? Like editing and comping and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So that's that's the that lovely minefield of Yes. <laughs> yeah, it can be a lot in there. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But uh no, it's fun. So yeah, we're doing that. I guess you know if anybody cares, keep keep an ear out, keep an eye out for that. Yeah. yeah. I think somehow we'll see the light of day. I'm not sure how. Yeah, hope so. And other than that, new work on new Starflyer stuff. Not sure when mm-hmm. or where that'll Gosh, be so done. <laughs> but yeah, we're, I think he's about three, four songs in. And we're just demoing right now. Yeah. So, nice. Yeah. So knowing him, I think within the year or something, there'll be something new. He so, always does. Yeah. yeah. It's, in, it's he does. I can't tell you how many times he's told me like my last record man <laughs> yeah right I, I used to say literally saying that like in like 2007 like, uh, like wow, that's not man. i relate to that energy real hard i get it <laughs> yeah 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 well and uh, solomon said on a podcast recently that there might be new neon horse coming down the pipe too yeah you know we started we started doing that and we had a couple songs and it fizzled not for any reason i just everyone was right. too busy and it was too mm. difficult to get Solomon out to California, but that that's also something that could happen yeah. for sure. Maybe you it's circle back a, to it in a little while. Yeah, yeah. It's uh I'm guessing that will happen. I just don't know when. So nice. Yeah, nice. That, yeah. that that that's the beauty of just like being a music nerd though, and like just being down to like hang out and like make cool shit with your friends. Like I just yeah, I yeah. love that. I love having like a bunch of irons in the fire and like stuff. You know, all totally. these different things could yeah. could totally happen. I love if that. You got you know a handful of if there's a you know enough people that make it to where it's financially viable. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about making sure. a ton of money. Just for sure, just just possible. Yeah, you know, we're lucky. Yeah. We're yeah. lucky enough to have that. You know, and like the, the Starflyer thing is that that thousand to 1500 core fans are so loyal. Like yeah. they, they buy yeah. everything we do in it. And it Josh will buy it twice. Cool. So, so you're good. <laughs> I do. Josh, is there, are there any Starfly? Are you vinyl guy? I am a vinyl guy. Yeah. Are there Starflyer records you have? I have everything except the fashion focus. Everybody makes mistakes and leave here a stranger, which are like the hard ones. That's how far yeah, 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 yeah. So I do have Fashion. everything. 
I don't uh, do like every like variant, but I have one of yeah. everything except for those. Three. That's pretty impressive. Those three. Okay. See, I was thinking <laughs> I, would, I was going to hook you up, but I don't have those. Well, <laughs> I do have those three, but man, I can't take those from you. Because <laughs> I think I think uh, Action Focus was a picture disc, no? Or is that old? That was a that's old. Disc. Yeah. Fashion hmm. Focus, no, that Tooth and Nail did that originally mm-hmm. back. Yeah, those ninety-eight. That one, those are worth my. They are. I just saw one sold for like four hundred bucks. So. That's crazy. Yeah, That's that crazy. Wild. When Leaf Here is Stranger, the two thousand one one, that one sells for mad money. So, is was that Tooth and Nail or was that Burnt Toast? That? Yeah, I know that was that was all Tooth and Nail. All three okay. of those. Yeah. Okay. Back when he was still on it. Well, never mind then. Okay, uh, I no, no, you have I appreciate you tried. It. Hey, you tried. <laughs> He's too else? much of a nerd. He's like too <laughs> into it. Uh, well, guys, that seems as good of place as any. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming on Church Jams now. Steve, yeah. thank yes. you. Can't overstate it enough. Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was fun. It was we fun. Definitely cannot. Yeah. So this has been Church Jams now. We have more amazing episodes coming up this year but once again huge 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 thank you to steve dale for coming on and being a music nerd with us as we like to say here may all your favorite bands stay together peace out mon frères peace out mon frères